Hello and welcome into the Section 109 podcast from Studio Breezy. In a different Studio Breezy. I was going to say, what is this, Studio U? No, I mean, it could be Studio Union. That's true. We are off Union Avenue. Um, shout out to uh, Moving, which has been a, a blast. But no, I'm just going to keep calling it Studio B, Studio Breezy. It's okay. just like Studio Breezy 2.0. Okay, okay. And we're here with Mix and Toby and Matthew. Hello. And we're here to talk about uh, Matthew's untimely sickness that almost resulted in him missing the game this week if he had been COVID positive, but he wasn't. Woohoo! How nervous were you? Uh, I was a little nervous, not going to lie. Uh, truthfully, I was more nervous. <laughs> this is, this is going to sound sad on a CFC podcast, but I was actually more nervous about leaving my coworkers out the dry next week because uh, we, we have our annual uh, legislative conference in Nashville. Uh, of which I play a, a rather large role as a uh, as a as a lobbyist, and uh, I would have felt really bad if I just kind of held like held hang, hung everybody out dry for that. Uh, this makes you sound like actually a good person. Way here. way more so than the Atlanta game, which is just a preseason friendly. <laughs> oh man, that is uh well, that is actually not on brand for you. But I know, I know. It was one really really bad day on Wednesday, and then it was one day of getting better on thursday and yeah sorry we were we were hoping to record earlier this week and it's just it it had to be now yeah look we had intentions of recording um earlier this week then matthew got sick and that's that's okay no no big deal but we were going to record a a podcast talking about the the jeremy news which we'll talk about in the future i don't want to do it on this podcast because yeah got a lot to say and and not that much time um and then yeah we were going to preview the atlanta game maybe in a little bit more depth um, and whatever else. And we'll do some of that today. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for, for getting back to podcasting and moving kind of through a wrench and everything for me because I thought it would take two days. And we like we moved. Uh, this was a rental property that we owned and we still obviously do own it. We decided to move into it from our other property and rent out our other property. And uh, we had somebody move out of this one on Monday and then we had to move uh, somebody new into our other property on Wednesday. And boy, was that a tight turnaround. And uh, Matthew has witnessed. It's a bit chaotic in here still. Um, you know, it's fun every, the past two years now we've made new year's resolutions about doing a lot of podcasts and then taking a three week break or four week break in the middle of January. (laughs) Yeah. But also I think this was basically our holiday break. Um, yeah. And I, I think we would have done a little bit of a disservice to listeners to just talk about nothing. Um, not nothing, but like we didn't get a lot of signings. I think, I think some of our listeners might think we talk about nothing anyway. So, you know, I don't, I think they're right. (laughs) But, uh, anyway, let's, let's get into it, Matthew. So, uh, as a catch-up on the season, for those who may not have this in their brains, um, two episodes ago, we talked about Marcus, Taylor, and Joseph Perez. Three signings. They were the first three signings of the year. That is a striker, golden ball winner in Marcus. Taylor, uh, a Nisa first-teamer, yep. left wing, yep. uh, and Joseph Perez, who's a new left-back. So we were excited about those. Last episode, we talked about Damian Rodriguez, who is continuing in, the, I believe, the second year of his um honestly groundbreaking deal that includes college and it's like a basically a college scholarship. It's fantastic. We expect a lot from Damian this year. Ali Jaime is returning for his second season with Chattanooga football club, along with Ethan Corin. Both of those guys got minutes last year, Ethan uh, less minutes, but a, a bit at the end started yeah, playing regularly at the end. end. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll see him. Uh, I would expect we'll see. A, well, we'll let's talk about Ethan after this. Yeah. Um, Richard Dixon, uh, no, no surprise. Captain Richard Dixon is back. Uh, Mumu Mutaya Muape is here and I am extremely excited about uh, Mumu and I want to talk more about him and Jonathan Partida right back who honestly I didn't know much about who I know you're reasonably excited about um, and 
that that was last episode. So this episode, and by the way, we still don't know anything about uh, Juan Hernandez or Travis Ward. Those are the kind of the only players from last year we don't know anything about. Uh, latest signings are Alex McGrath. Thank God. How happy are you, Matthew? We'll we'll pause a little bit on Alex McGrath. I was uh, I was nervous about that one. Uh, just because he's just so important to to how the team plays, and the things that are required of a midfielder in in the way Rod wants to play, you know, you have to have. Obviously, you have to have the, the technical ability in terms of receiving and, and, and passing a ball. You also have to be able to dribble a little bit. But maybe the most important thing is you have to make decisions. And McGrath consistently makes really good decisions with the ball. When to when to drop it back to a, to a defensive player. When to advance it forward to a defensive player. He can pass between lines and gaps. He also has a, a really good ability to pick up his head, survey the scene, and take 10 yards or 20 yards of space with the dribble mm-hmm. and then advance the ball or even recycle it from there. And uh, I think he had, what, six goals, five five assists, maybe five more hockey assists, something like that. He was our second leading player in goal contributions, if you include goals, assists, and hockey assists mm-hmm. from midfield um, and and arguably from the, the, the second most advanced midfield position with Ian Ciro taking up that most advanced mid- midfield position. So massively important to have him back. Especially uh, with the loss of Ian Cero. Especially with the loss of Ian Cero. And now. congratulations, Ian Cero. Yeah, let's, Rio let's, Grand let's Valley. talk about this. So so when when the club announced that, you know, the goodbyes to, to all those players, I think I think some fans would have would saw some some real surprising ones. Uh I was pretty pretty fucking shocked about the Ian Cero piece. We had gotten a little inkling because uh, we had been kind of paying attention to like some of the Twitter follows and some of the uh, Instagram follows of his and saw one particular one pop up and thought like that's interesting that, that's odd yeah it was out of the blue and but then when when it officially like when they came to the goodbyes and he wasn't announced it was like whole and then we started looking of course more at those twitter uh and by the way if you're not checking those twitter likes and and, and twitter follows and instagram and instagram um check those out um it's a good it's a good way to keep uh, keep track of things that was a that was a shock but it, once i found out that he was moving up um, to another team, and now it's been announced that it's Rio Grande Valley. That makes sense. Going to the USL Championship is an offer he's not going to be able to refuse, right? And shouldn't. It's a, it's a step up in his career into the Division Two, and uh, man, I wish him nothing but the best. And we talk about this all the time about how CFC is a place where, like, yeah, we understand we're in the third division. We understand that we're we play in Nisa. People are going to move on and move up, and and I mean, obviously, we're seeing that with uh, with Jeremy's departure as well. Like, players are going to want to use us as a platform to move on. And Ian Saro has done that. And and the way Rod wants to play has given a lot of players a really big look uh, from some other teams. And uh, without getting into too many of the details about how contracts work, like there are windows in which uh, other teams at higher levels can come in for our players. Uh, and the the transfer market in this country is not... Uh, is not very well developed and it's not great. And sometimes you lose players. Uh, like we're, we're not making, I'm going to tell you right now, we did not make a hundred thousand dollars on the Ian Saro transfer to, to Rio Grande Valley. We made 300. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's just not what happened. Uh, I, I wish we were in a, in a world where a player moved up and, and maybe he was on a forward year deal or something like that. And his, in, in there was an actual transfer fee paid. That's just not often going to be the case. It is sometimes, but those fees are much, much smaller. The, the largest, to my knowledge, the largest lower division 
to lower division. That means a player going from D3 to D2. In, in this United country, States. Yeah, in this country, the largest transfer fee paid has been $20,000. So like... And we talked about on this podcast, Chris Bermudez moved from D3 in yeah, USL League One to USL Championship, and that was undisclosed, but... It um, was about 10, It was 10, about 000. 10 grand, and that tends to be the going rate, and and while people may think like, wow, that's not that much money, it's because these, for, like, these contracts are such that teams aren't willing to pay more than that. And, and frankly, these players don't make enough money. Like by and large, like lower division soccer is not a, not a get rich quick type thing. So like the, the contracts aren't going to be worth a ton. If you, if you look at like, let's take the USL championship collective bargaining agreement at this point in time, those values are roughly $2,000 cash and an $800 uh, housing stipend or whatever for a total compensation package of two, $2,800 a month. In the US Championship. Yep. Roughly, roughly. In the championship. Uh, so if you if you take those numbers, that's 24K a year cash and you're in your apartment is tacked on because a lot of teams have provide team housing like we do. Yeah, and, and it, it may be a housing stipend of 800 bucks or maybe... It Some, may be something. You, you have a two-bedroom apartment, which is what most of our guys have. Two-bedroom apartment... Um, in fact, they moved apartments. I asked Jordan. He told me this year. Anyway, they moved to uh, where I used to live, Vista Cameron Harbor, or one of the Cameron Harbors uh, where I used to live, which I have some good memories and some very blurry memories of some that place. Some very blurry memories of that uh, pool. Great, great pool. So, so, like, if you're if you're if you're talking about like a player who's under contract for the next year, and their cat because almost everyone provides housing, their cash value in the USL Championship minimum is twenty four thousand dollars. You're not going to see that player transferred for probably more than that. Right. It's just not likely because they get most likely that player is not in the third division and should be in the first division. So the difference in price, they could right. go get another player with that additional money. So 10,000 bucks tends to be ballpark kind of what a lot of these transfers go for. And they're always undisclosed fees. But if you ask around, um, you can kind of find out like, Oh, that one was five grand or that one was 10 grand. Like that's kind of the, and, and there've been, some and that's that the buyout. Been... Remember that's, that's the buyout that goes from one team to the other team. And look, it's not a ton of money, but like, like you're saying, if the cash value, not the housing value, because everyone's getting the housing, but if the cash value of that player's contract is 24 grand, then you're basically getting a half year's salary as as the buyout, um, yeah. roughly. And and the reputation for being willing to transfer a player up is worth more, frankly. Than Absolutely. The cash. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and and that's all to say we so, don't know we don't know if there was actual monetary uh, stuff exchanged between RGV and us. Uh, I don't honestly don't really care. The the point is Ian Cero has moved to the next level, mm-hmm. uh, and good for him, and 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 that's fantastic for him. Uh, a couple other players actually, while, while we're just here, if you don't mind, uh, oh Frankie I do Mar- mind. Frankie Martinez, like uh, Tate Robertson, both yep. going to Lexington Sporting Club. Good for them. Uh, and not that's not that's a lateral move. Let's be real. To, but that is a move closer to home for Tate. Tate is the biggest Bengals yep. fan. Biggest Bengals fan. That's a lot of. I, I said biggest Bengals fan, which is a weird thing he, to say. Tate Tate it may be a maybe one of the biggest Bengals fans that I know. And I went to school in Cincinnati. He's the, he's a Bengals fan. Like you and I are CFC fans. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he, he, uh, he grew up with it. Like this is his thing. And I, and I don't know if we said this on the last part. Po- no, cause I don't think we podcasted since it came out where he was going. No. Um, but we were speculating about where we thought he might go. And Lexington was a place that you and I felt like he might go. It's closer to home. It's close to Ohio. And, and look, Tate was really, really good here. 
this will get this move should get him more eyes. Hopefully, got him a raise as well. Should yeah. get him more eyes in the USL Championship. I thought he would get on the end of the USL Championship bench, but uh, maybe he'll and then work his way into the starting lineup because I think Tate's good enough to play in the USL Championship. But uh, good for him. I, he'll be in League One. I expect he'll play a lot, and I I expect it would be much better for him and his family, his dad, who came to, and uncle uh, too, but his dad especially who was here for like just about every damn game. Um, it's a lot closer to home, and good for him, man. Big, I'm happy for him. Big thing for him. And then Frankie, you know, for, look, Frankie told us off the off the mic last year that maybe it was on the mic. I don't remember that he was uh, that he didn't have an option for this year. That he bet on himself. Um, and look, so he signed a shorter term deal with us. And then uh, for whatever reason, I actually don't know if it was a team decision or a him decision, but he uh, not only did not have an option this year, but we did not re-sign him. And so he's moving on to a new place and a new um, thing. And I. I'm nervous, and we'll talk about center backs in this episode, because I think Frankie was a very, very good player for us last year, and and that guy that we've talked about on, the, on this podcast and off a lot about him fitting Rod's system to an absolute T and like a yeah. glove, but also like he's he deserves to be able to go get paid, and hopefully he got a big raise, and um, playing in League One will get him some eyes. Remember, he was drafted in, in MLS, didn't obviously uh, end up playing, but got drafted in MLS, so he's got some potential there, at least in the eyes of others, and hopefully this could lead to him maybe making his way into the championship as well. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And that will allow us to potentially change um, some personnel and get other guys some looks that maybe are undervalued. You know, one of the things that we we at CFC want to be is a stepping stone club, and that stepping stone, not like we're not worth as much, but let guys be move up and move on in their career. And every guy that moves on and gets a hopefully bitter, bigger or more advantageous deal for them is a good thing for us. Absolutely. And uh, based on that, we, or based on that, excuse me, that makes me think of the fact that uh, Cal United is just a little stepping stone club as well. And John Antoine <laughs> is coming here. Yeah. I mean, anytime you, you can sign... The, we got a goalkeeper, Matthew. Anytime you can sign the Golden Glove winner in the league, it's probably a good idea to do it. Absolutely. So let's <laughs> let's um, let's talk a little bit about Jean Antoine. Um, do we are, do we have news on where Kevin Gonzalez is going or where Alec Reddington is going yet? No. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, like we've we've heard some rumblings, but like nothing nothing concrete. So look, both those guys were were Alec was obviously we said goodbye in the episode. Alec was a, a long serving uh, goalkeeper here, so that's gonna be a big change not having him on the roster. Yeah. Um, and look, Kevin was very integral to how Rod played. Yeah. And and I've not seen a Rod Underwood coach team play without Kevin Gonzalez. Um, but the biggest difference between those guys and Jean Antoine is just physical stature. In- inches tall. Yeah, so I think, um, and this is no disrespect to, to Kev or to Alex, but every, or Alec, excuse me, um, or Alex McGrath either, but uh, <laughs> the soccer heights are usually bullshit especially for goalkeepers, listed soccer heights. So players will list themselves as six foot two and they're really five foot 11 or six foot or players will list themselves as six one and they are really five ten or five nine. I mean, Gregor Hartley was famously supposed to be five eleven or six foot and that dude was five seven. Um, <laughs> and, and Alec and I'm just going to say Alec and Kevin were neither one was their listed height. Sorry, boys. I love you. Um, but none yeah, neither of them was their listed height. And put on top of that, that and that's not, that's no shot at them because everybody, but Jean Antoine is listed either six three or six four. I think six three. Meaning he's probably actually over six foot. Six foot one, six foot two, somewhere in there. Maybe six maybe six foot exactly. Maybe he's actually six three. But but point being is he's going to be a bigger body. If you watched him play last year or any or the year before, 
He's a bigger body than those two guys. And I think we went that way for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, I think one of the things we saw last year, including in the playoffs, that we weren't good enough on set pieces. Uh, and again, this is no slight to, to our guys, but a bigger body can get to more set pieces. Yeah. So if you're talking about crosses in, into the box, like if you're six foot four, I mean, look, six we, foot tall. Look, we, you have, we weren't we weren't great in the air anyway. So you, a bit, so you bigger keeper. Need, so you need sometimes need a bigger keeper to be able to come out and get more stuff. Hundred percent. That's exactly where I'm going with that. So if you're four inches taller, you also probably have another extra four inches of reach on top of just the height. So you're you're talking about a significant reach advantage. Um, and I think you actually see that in the next signing in Jonathan Burke, the uh, other goalkeeper we signed, also listed at six three or six four, depending on where you look. Um, I know your favorite stat about him is, did he play seven years of college soccer? He played seven years of college soccer. So both, and let's talk a little about Jonathan Burke in a second, but John Antoine and Jonathan Burke are both 6'3", uh, 6'4", six, six, listed. And if we take that as as gospel, which, by the way, it won't be, because again, I, I mentioned that all soccer heights are bullshit. Um, like Leo Messi's five foot, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Leo Messi is actually five foot one. Not really. Um, but those guys are going to be significantly taller. And I think one of the ways that we're going to help get better on, on set pieces defending is just getting guys who are just simply oversized. And I mean that like we haven't had a goalkeeper over six foot. And we, we did, we thought about this the other day. We were talking about this off the pod, like name the last goalkeeper that started for us. That was regular regular starter. That was over six foot one, actually over six foot one. Thomas Hunter. I I think Tommy Salsa is your other guy. Who's like six one six two? Regularly started, bro. I would probably six, six games. He had like six or seven games in that one. But boy, you're right. You're right. So Greg, like Alec, Phil was right at six foot. I mean, if we're if we're being generous, like and, and again, sorry boys, but like Alec was probably right at six foot, and and Kevin was probably right at six foot on on the high side, right? So those guys are like just not that tall. If you add another three inches of that, you're gonna hopefully um, get a little different. The other pieces with Jean Antoine is he's twenty nine. Um, yeah, he's got some experience on him. And uh, he's played he's played indoor in San Diego before. I didn't. Um, the indoor part's interesting. Yeah, he played for the San Diego Soccer's in uh, MASL. Which, by the way, if which led into uh, him playing for 1904. Is that full size indoor, like 11 v 11 indoor, or is that no, like seven no, aside? No, no, this is like five aside indoor. Yeah, something like that. I would have expected that a guy that would be a guy like Kevin Gonzalez or Alec Reddington that would want to because like I feel like you'd be a little faster because you're like slightly. I think uh-huh. I, I think everyone's journey is different. I love it. Uh, yeah, but but he played so he played indoor at, at MASL level. Uh, got onto the 1904 roster uh, for 1904 FC's uh, first season in Nisa in 2019. Uh, he was with them in in 2020 before the pandemic. Uh, 1904 goes away uh, and does not play in the fall of 2020, and uh, he ended up going to Detroit's roster to become the starting keeper in Detroit while Nate Stainwasher was outside of the bubble, uh, won the fall tournament with Detroit as the starter. Um, and then, then Steinwasher came back. Yeah, and then Steinwasher came back, and he ended up signing with with Cal United for 2021 and uh, 2022. So I, I'm, I'm ecstatic to have him. Uh, really good pickup. Uh, he's got the physical profile I think we were looking for to upgrade on, uh, just in terms of his overall stature. Got some experience in the league. He's the best goalkeeper in the league last year. And that's a that's a pretty good place to start if you're going to replace a position group. Yep. And look, he's 29, and I like I like the 29 part because I want some leadership back there. And I'm not saying we didn't have it, but now that we're now that we're past and we have a new. So Kevin provided a lot of like leadership. Alec had some experience in Nisa. One of the things I was worried about is that we would end up with a keeper um, like jo- Jonathan Burke, which is I'm not 
like I'm glad he's the backup. If Jonathan Burke was a starter, I'd be like, oh boy, this guy's not ever played Anissa before. Can he organize the back line? Can he do all the things? John Antoine obviously can. He has experience winning uh, some sort of weird title in Nisa and then winning a regular season title last year in Nisa. And so that part makes me happy. Look, so let's, let's talk about Jonathan Burke for a second. Absolutely. He spent six years at, uh, at I think Eastern Illinois University. And one of those was a COVID year. One of those was a redshirt year, which is how he got a seventh year. Uh, or maybe it was a double red shirt. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And uh, he spent his last year, his seventh year at Drake this past fall. And it did really, really well. 25-year-old rookie, right? Yeah, he's a 25-year-old rookie, yeah. And he's like, he's legit. I, mean, I think they've listed him as 6'4". He's a big guy. I've seen his highlights. Like, uh, great. Di- I think good distribution with his feet. Don't get me wrong, which you have to do to play for Rod. I, like, I don't even have to watch that part to know that he can do that job. Rod, Rod does not sign him if he cannot do that. Um, I was really impressed by, with his distribution with his hands. That boy can fling a ball. Like on on a scale of, um, I don't know, someone to Tim Howard. No, I think he's Tim Howard. Like, I think Hell he's Tim yeah. Howard versus Algeria type of like launch. Uh, really, really, really good stuff. Um, I think he's going to be a fun one to interview on the podcast. Rod told me a little bit about uh, his major in college and why he was doing it. I think that'll be real fascinating and we'll, we'll try to get him on at some point and, and talk. Um, and, he, and look, he's the perfect kind of backup. I love having a, I mean, it's actually not that different from last year, except for Alec had more experience than, than Jonathan Burke does, but it, like you had a younger keeper that can grow and learn. And you had an older keeper who's like uh, been around a little while. And that's the same dynamic we have this year. And I think it worked well for us last year overall. And this year it's a little different, but I th- I like that. I'll, as far as a roster building, roster construction, I really like that, that I'll, dynamic. I'll, I'll say this. I think the coaching staff really likes Burke and they think uh, if if there's, I mean, I, obviously I think Antoine goes in as the starter. Um, but I, I think if, if something, if, if some sort of injury, injury happens to Antoine, They're I, th- I, think, I think the staff's pretty comfortable with Burke. It's really good. And we saw last year, look, we, last year we had basically 14 players that play significant minutes. Two of them were goalkeepers. Yeah. Um, Alec played significant minutes, both in injury and rotation. And I think, uh, you know, you never know what this year holds, but you need a second keeper that can play. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe Burke will be good enough to start all season if he somehow passes on Tuan, but you need him to be able to play at minimum, uh, to fill in here and there, uh, after Jonathan Burke, welcome back, Colin Stripling. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, sorry. I was just taking my taking taking a second to think about how I want, how would I wanted to do this? Because I think a lot of people would look at the signing and be like, my God, we finally have a center back. Yeah. 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 This podcast has a hot take. Colin Stripling, not, not signed a cent- center back. Not a center back. I think he's going to play. Now this, I mean, now this is this is the pod. I want to be really clear. This is the podcast opinion that Matt and I completely one hundred percent agree on. Yeah, I, I, I is Colin Stripling going to play center back versus Atlanta? Yeah, probably. Is Colin Stripling going to play a lot of minutes at center back this year? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Is Colin Stripling in an ideal world the starting center back for Channing Football Club on either side, no. right or left? No. Why? He's a, he's a midfielder. Is he the starting midfielder? Uh, and which depends. Midfielder? I think so. I I think there are a couple there are a couple of different avenues here. Uh, I I I think there are number one. I think if, if you go back and listen to the interview that we we did with Rod in November, uh, I think there are some some breadcrumbs that he left us that basically say we were we were a little bit too open at times. We were not good enough defensively at times, and 
we were not great on set pieces. And I think if you look at some of those breadcrumbs and you look at the Colin Stripling signing, uh, and, and I, I would wager that we have a couple of options here. One of them is Colin is signed. That is one center back now uh, because you know he can do the job. He did the job last year. You, you, we know he can. One of, the, one of the best teams in Nisi was the starting right center back the majority of the year. Right. So we know he can do the job. Uh, but we also know that he was signed to be uh, more of an eight. Why do we know that? Well, because Rod told me that. <laughs> but why else do we know that? Because Colin also told me that. But why else do we know that? Because against Memphis. Because well, against yeah, Memphis. Yeah. The, the, and this has been an argument that Matthew has been making all, all offseason with me, which is if you look at what Rod wanted to do last year when he was roster building, if you look at the Memphis game, which is very early on, and it's the game right before Frankie gets hurt and everything gets thrown. No, it's into the chaos. game Frankie gets hurt. In. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's the game before you had to adjust to. Yeah. Like we had to adjust mid-game to Frankie's injury. But Colin starts at midfield. We didn't see that really the rest of the year. We didn't see it at all the rest of the year. But we did see him play a start at right back one game. Yep. And be very good. We saw him start at center back and be very good all year. Like we saw him. We've seen him in, in that Memphis game. Is one little thing, but we've seen him in the past for Stumptown play in the midfield. He he was he was a midfielder uh all throughout for Stumptown except for I think one game. And for Greenville he was and for Tucson he was also midf- uh, midfield. Cor- yeah, correct. So so my thinking is uh especially with the Cerro departure, you've got, you know, Mumu's flexibility, the new signing from Tormenta that he can play as as someone in the middle of the field like a 10 or, or as, as a winger. As a winger. Uh so you've got some flexibility here. If you have two high-level center backs, you can start playing, you know, the two center backs, the back four like normal, and you can play Richard and, and, and Stripling in a double pivot. You can go... And Rod gave that little breadcrumb that he wanted to see uh, somebody give Rich a little bit more positional help because he felt like we were too open. Yes. And who's that player? Colin Stripling. You also have the opportunity here to, uh, if you need to drop Alex back, which I think would happen anyway a little bit, and play kind of Alex and Colin as as the eight line in front of Richard. Uh because I think they would have, they would both have a lot of flexibility to do what they need to do. It would look a lot like a double pivot, in my opinion. Also, I'll give you a nightmare scenario. What happens if Richard gets hurt? You bet we're going to have to have a six. Tell you that. And I last mean, year it was out. Al- last it year was, was Alex, McGrath. Alex McGrath. And look, Alex did a great job deputizing. But I would feel more comfortable with Alex and his goal contributions you talked about earlier, playing further up the field, and Colin Stripling playing at that six. Yeah. Now here's here's why we this this pod like look. Right now, roster building wise, we don't have another center back on the roster other than Ethan Corin, who may be a center back, maybe a, a six eight. Right? Ethan is young. I don't think either of us think Ethan is going to start in the Niso regular season as the starter. Now, may he maybe he works his way in because he's young and he's improving. Sure. Will he play in against Atlanta as a center I, back? I, I don't. I Probably. Don't, I don't project Ethan to to start like twenty games at this point in time. He could prove me. He, he could play in what his way into the lineup, and and maybe do that. But like at this point in time, right now. I think we would have to see a very large jump from Ethan. So I think we're going to see, as far as making predictions on Ethan, I think we're going to see Ethan take a little bit of the Ali Hymas role and be a little bit different, but the 10 to 15 minutes at the end of a lot of games to play in the midfield, uh, if we're winning especially because he's a little bit more of a defender defender slash midfielder. So I think you'll see him come in to provide legs to run around. Probably not for Richard Dixon, though I think optimally it would be for Richard Dixon. Oftentimes he was getting subbed in for someone like Marcus or someone like Taylor and then putting on in the line with Richard Dixon. Yep, and I think, and we saw that for literally three to five minutes in a bunch of games. It was sometimes just stoppage time. I, I actually don't think that's, he registered. That's what I mean. I don't think he registered minutes in, in tr- the 90s. truly minutes in NISA 
because it was only in stoppage time in a couple matches, which is fine. It's whatever. But I think we'll start seeing those um, realistically for Ethan in the 85th, 80th, 75th when we're protecting a lead. And then, of course, like you said, he could work his way into the starting lineup. Yeah. Now, but- I, I've, I've been joking about this with Ethan, uh, not office on the podcast because we've not been recording. Uh, but I, I've been joking about this with, with you. Like, he's probably going to be our starter at center back against Atlanta. Matthew. And it's because he is the There's only, no other ones on the roster. There, there's no one else with, with center back experience on the roster. And I think because he's young and because you really want to see what he's got. Uh, look, he played center back against Metro Louisville. He played center back against Charlotte. I think you put them, you put him in there for, I, mean, I don't know how long the starter's going to play. 30, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, who knows? We'll find out. Uh, but I think you put him in there and you see what he can do. I tell you what. You're, because you're you're going to sub him out at some point. There are going to be trialists there. The trialists are going to end up playing. We're looking at them as well. But he is on the roster. The last time we played... And he takes a little bit more priority because he is on the roster. Sure. When we played Atlanta last year uh, in the Open Cup, Ethan didn't play. Richard did so much. So much cleaning up. So much cleaning. We're going to need Richard to do that again. And that's terrifying. Um, hopefully Atlanta plays their starters for about four minutes <laughs> and then subs them all out. Um, but either way, I, I'm excited for what we're going to see from Ethan. I think we may, may see him. But my point where I was going with that is, I think you sign Colin because, look, we don't know what kind of... We talked about this last uh, last episode of the season or the episode before where we talked about how it looks with us starting early and then other, te- other players going to USL Championship teams and going into camp and seeing how things go and then maybe dropping down to us or maybe going to MLS camps, then dropping into USL camps, then dropping into... And that drops us, somebody right? else as well. Like there's there's but, a lot of so it, it all gets here. weird, but I think you have to sign Colin Stripling now, and he is a center back probably on the depth chart for now, and and maybe you own, your drop down ends up being a left center back or ends up being a right center back that can play left center back, and, and you don't get another player that's better than Colin Stripling or as good as Colin Stripling is at center back, and then Colin ends up your starting right center back, and that's possible, and and that's why you sign him now because you only need one of those positions for sure, but you're aiming for two. But here's what I think makes it interesting is that hopefully, since we've signed him now, we can now go look for two more and make Colin the backup right back, backup center back, backup six. Slash maybe starting six. Maybe slash starting eight, six or eight, depending on what we're trying to do. And then what that means is if he's the 12th guy, Colin Stripling was a starter last year on the second best team in Nice or the best team in Nice, depending on how you want to look at it. Fuck the stars. And the... The idea that we could have a starting level player, because if he is the 12th guy, because he can play right back, because he can play center back, because he can play the other, potentially the left center back position, because he can play the six, because he can play the eight slash 10, because he can play all those positions, he's probably going to play 75% of the games. He's basically going to be a starter, but he's going to be your 12th guy. We used 14 guys last year. Richard magically didn't get hurt, which was amazing. He he did once. And Alex filled in. You're right. You're right. My point being is I want Colin to be that, that free guy and then whatever happens I feel comfortable about the backup because it's Colin and it's not somebody random who I don't know now we'll see what comes out of the center back market we'll see what guys are in camp we'll see maybe against Atlanta there's definitely some center backs in camp right yeah so we're going to see if any of them are any good um well we won't see a lot probably because it's one game but the coaches will be wanting to see how things look and I will also say this a little piece about Ethan Corn. if Ethan plays against Atlanta he is extremely good on the ball he is young and he's getting better as a defender, but I definitely see him as a little bit weak defensively because he's not really a center back. He's learning that position, right? So I, I'm not, I'm not going to judge him if he gets if he gets absolutely torched by Atlanta defensively. Um, that won't because it's MLS guys, right? But if he can look competent on the ball against Atlanta United, that will tell me a lot about Ethan Corn's trajectory because if his his strength if his strength matches up well enough that he looks solid. 
man, I'm going to be excited about the development of Ethan Corn for this year. And I'm not saying it's not going to, but this is a big game for him uh, because he is a very young player who's not very far. Same with a guy like Damian. Like, if those guys can look decent against Atlanta, like, or against Atlanta's scrubs or Atlanta's trialists or Atlanta's whatever, that's big because they're young and they have they have room to grow. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Hugo Martinez and Fabian Rodriguez, two guys returning from last year. Yep. Uh, and they actually signed before Collins Tripling did. But the reason we're leaving them towards the end is I view them, and I think you do too, as academy signings. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll see. I think we'll see both of them against Atlanta for a little bit. Uh, but these are these are guys that have now finished high school. Uh, they, I mean, they they were academy signings after after high school ended uh, last year. They're back again. I think they're taking gap years, both of them. Figuring out what they want to do. Is it college? Is it is it try to go pro? Is it something else? Uh, and the cool thing about academy players is sometimes they are, uh, you're only really going to see them in practice or maybe in, in, uh, in an exhibition game against an amateur team or something like that, which we did see them in, mm-hmm. uh, in games like that. Uh, but you never know. Sometimes your academy signing uh, becomes a, a big contributor that was Damian Rodriguez in 2021. Absolutely. So I, I'm glad to see him back. I think it's, I think it's really good for them. It's good for us. And, and I'm not going to put any, any expectations or, or anything on them. Uh, except that like, I just hope they continue to develop and, and figure out their, what they're want to do next in their, in their lives and their careers. Yeah. And I, I, here's another thing I am nervous about. I don't know how you feel about this continuity from last year to this year. So one of the things that I'm really excited about about this year is that this is year two for Rod. So Rod's got a pretty unique system, and I mean that in a positive way, um, but that does mean that I, I think you should be able to build on and grow in that system. So guys should be able to get better. The system should make the hopefully make the pieces greater than the sum of their parts, right? Make the whole system, makes the whole team a little bit better than they would be if they were just individually whatever. So we have one, two... Three, four, five, six, six, seven, eight. We have eight players returning from last year besides the two academy players um, confirmed. So eight, eight out of thirteen. Eight out of the out of thirteen. Um, what we can add? So Joseph Perez is new. Uh, uh, Mumu's new. Partida's new. Um, Jean Antoine is new, and Burke is new. So that gives you five. That's eight of thirteen, and then you have the two. I think that actually makes the two academy kids more important. And here's why. Number one, you need one of the things that academy guys, that one of the reasons it's so good to have academy guys in there is for their development on an academy schedule or on a high school schedule or on even a college schedule. You only play a few months of a year really seriously. You don't get the level of practicing and you don't get the amount of practicing. So number one, it's incredibly good for their development. But number two, for us, we need numbers in practice. And maybe the guys can play. As you said, Damian came in and played. I would argue that Ethan Corin, who was an academy guy basically, or an amateur slash academy first year pro, whatever, at Richmond before coming to CFC, where he started in his second year now being one of the young players but making uh, things. You saw Gigi last year who got some minutes uh, against the amateur teams towards the uh, towards the end of those games, but didn't get a ton of minutes. But those guys are integral to us having enough numbers for practice. You need to be able to play 12 on 12. I'm sorry, 11 on 11, uh, not 12 on 12. Was this Canadian soccer? <laughs> uh, <laughs> exchange rate. That's how it goes. Uh, you need to be able to have at least uh, 11 guys for each side is what I was trying to say. Excuse me. I'm so excited about uh, Colin Stripling, the 12th man, that I got my numbers confused. And also, I think the other interesting thing is those guys are going to understand what Rod wants from day one. Now they're young, but 
they were here for a half a season last year, basically each, or maybe the whole, almost the whole season. When did Hugo came in? He came in pretty early in the season, right? Yeah, I think both of them were around for a while, but I think Fabian was still finishing up high school soccer in the spring. So let's let's just pretend for to make it easy. They were each around for half the season. If they were each around for half the season, they have half a season of learning under Rod, and not just learning like what to do, but how to teach others the mentality. The and they're young, so I'm not I'm not claiming that they're going to be in charge of teaching, but I do think there's some value to having them come back. There's some value to having them hopefully. Um, you know, there's a reason we saw six, six stump count, five or six stump town guys in the lineup early on because they knew what Rod wanted from the year before. And I think those guys in practice will provide um, just a little bit of adjustment that is good, hopefully. And hopefully, with a high ceiling, um, they can maybe get some minutes in more minutes in some of those games that are, are, are amateur games. And, you know, who knows? Maybe some NISA games if, if one of them breaks out. But I'm excited for the continuity factor because we're at eight. That makes me nervous. I would have preferred it was 10 or 12 because I want to build on that foundation that Rod has put in. And we we are where we are. And so even if like even if you added Juan Hernandez and Travis Ward to this list, we'd only be at 10 uh, returners. So that's not even a full starting lineup. And so I, I am excited that we're bringing two Academy kids back and that they will provide at least a little bit, a little bit of continuity uh, with guys who kind of know what's going on and know how we, how we do things. There is not a chance I am going to put any any amount of responsibility for continuity on two 18-year-olds or whatever, however old they are, two academy players. Not even a little bit. Uh, that falls on everybody else. I'm not putting responsibility here's, on. Here's something that I do think matters. And I think this is more, uh, and I'll actually, get, I'll, I'll give kudos here. Like I think this is more in line with the scouting and recruitment that has gone on in the offseason. Uh, slash in the the latter half of of last season, I I don't think we we talk about how the way Rod wants to play and it's very possession focused, ball dominant, try to win win the ball back and then keep possession and restart from there, that type of play. Jonathan Partita uh, was at Bay Cities uh, as a right back before he uh, before Bay Cities collapsed and he ended up going to to Northern Colorado. Bay Cities, maybe more than anyone else in the league besides us, actually, I I would argue Bay Cities tried to do it even harder than we did. Calm down. Tried to play this sort of football. Bay Cities tried to play tried to play Rod's brand of football. I'm 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 definitely saying this harder than we did. Way harder. In fact, they they took it way 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 too far. It's why we were able to open them up so easily uh, in both of the games we played. Because they had no discipline to understand when you couldn't do certain things. They tried to just, they tried to go over the top. Now, Partita did not play against us in either one of those games. I believe he got hurt or something like that. Uh, But in the first part of the season, he was the right back for this type of team that tried to play this way. And I think if if you look at, uh, if you look at us, you know, planning for the offseason, if Tate Robertson leaves, which he was a free agent, so he was allowed to do so if he wanted to, and he did, you're looking for options to replace him with. Bay City's right back? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As someone who can immediately slot in, yes, is it going to be a little bit different? It will. But he will have an understanding of what to do fairly, fairly quickly. Like This will not be that hard for him to figure out. Joseph Perez, left back. Uh, played as a, a wing back for LA Force, played as a left back uh, for for Cal United, also two 
very possession heavy teams. Is it going to look different than how he played for those two different teams? And actually he played for 1904 even before that, which may have been a more of a base cities type possession type team in the old days. So like, is the adjustment period going to be that hard for him? We'll find out because we, because you just, you don't know what you don't know, but that's the type of player who has played in systems that fit what Rod is trying to do. Jean Antoine, same way. I mean, obviously there's the shot stopping component. There's the, uh, coming out for crosses component and things like that. But he played on a pretty possession heavy team in CAG United. He also played previously for 1904 in 2019, a very possession heavy team. Played for Detroit, who had their moments of possession. Yeah, possession to kill things, but yes. So so you have you already have guys that have an idea of how to play possession soccer. And yes, Rod may want something a little bit different, but I have a feeling like this this is this is the fruits of some really good scouting and looking for players that can do certain things and can play in certain ways. And I I just don't worry about I worry more about culture continuity than I do about playing continuity, if that makes sense. And like that that that's just us gonna have to trust that the coaching staff has, has vetted these guys and like they're they're the right people to come here and, and whatever and we'll, we're gonna find those things out. We do every year. Uh but yeah, I'm not putting I'm not putting I'm not I'm not putting this on two academy games. So let me clarify not even a little bit. Let me clarify. Those two guys are unlikely to play any minutes. Correct. If you if you gave me two random twenty five year olds that are unlikely to play any minutes, or random academy kids from that came up from the CFC Academy this year, they're going to take six months to adjust. These kids don't have to adjust. They were already in the culture. They know how the locker room works. They know how Rod wants to play. I'm not putting it on them, but I am very nervous that there's less continuity and two guys that already at least know their role and know what's going on. I'll take these eighteen year olds over two random other eighteen year olds that come in, and I'll take them over two twenty five year olds who aren't likely to play because at least these kids already know what they're supposed to do. That's, That's the continuity I'm talking about. Not okay. that they're going to be teaching, but I am still nervous that there's going to be nobody, not nobody, that we're going to have a step, a slight step back for the first half of the season while guys learn. And I hope you're right that these guys are ready, but there's no... Remember the first six or eight games of last season were fucking terrifying at times. <laughs> remember the one of the the biggest reason we lost 6 nothing to Atlanta was because we continued to play our version of soccer, our version of on the ground, try to pass through them no matter what, make bad turnover sometimes, whatever it takes, continue to do what we do. We did that, and we did, we're did. we not, little by little, those reins got loosened up during the season. But early on, it was absolutely to a T, you do it our way. The less of those players that you have that have been through that system, the more that players have and been through that experience, the more they have to learn about it. So I am still very nervous about this. I don't care if these, I don't care if we have all five players on the back five of Cal United. Like we have Sean Antoine, the keeper, and we have a, a, a left back. I don't care if we sign the two center backs from Cal United <laughs> and, and and the right back from Cal United. I don't care if they've played together. They haven't played for Rod. So I, yeah, I'm not okay. suggesting that I'm not suggesting that Fabian or, or Hugo are gonna take their place, but I am suggesting that I'm nervous about that overall transition for everybody. And those those are two guys that I know at least get it for now. And in practice, they will be they will know what's expected of them. They won't have they won't have a new learning curve for Rod to spend time teaching. They will be doing their thing on the second team or on the third team or whatever it else as they're part of it. But I am nervous about everybody else who hasn't been here for a season and learning. Now, do we have Richard Dixon who's been here a whole season to help lead them? Yes, absolutely. That's fantastic. Will, and, have, and and frankly, that might have been the biggest learning curve of, of all because yes. Richard is, and, and I have to go back into his club career for a little bit, but I don't think he really ever played 
for anyone that tried to play this kind of possession soccer. In fact, we thought... We also played right back and right wing back. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right uh, center back. Those we, are your three we, positions. We were, we were, not, sen- not central defensive midfielder. We were really the ones that converted him to, to a center back, uh, at least in, in, regu- in regularity. Uh, yeah, you're looking at me funny, but we were the ones that did it. Uh, he was used in emergency a couple of times, but we were the ones that converted him to full on. Um, he, he played the six in college, which I think matter matters in this, but, uh, just the way, the way Rod wants to play is just so, is so different than a lot of players are used to. Uh, and, and getting guys that have come in with possession or with experience in possession football is going to make that learning curve just a lot easier. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm, I am happy about the guys we've signed so far, the center back, outstanding center backs, um, outstanding center back positional, like whatever. I'm, I'm nervous about that, but I'm excited. Colin Stripling, here's one of the, the arguments for him playing center back for the first 10 games of the season is that whoever his partner is, he already knows it. He's going to he's gonna know it. Now, I'm hoping that we sign two more center backs and then Colin Stripling, as I've already, we've already both said, does his thing. But we might see Colin Stripling early on in the season as the right center back because he understands how to yell at the right back and tell him what to do and how to yell at the left center back and tell him what to do. Um and help everybody like with the continuity piece. I'm not saying for sure that's what we'll see because he could also do some of that from midfield. But there is a continuity argument for Colin Stripling being really important there as well. Let me let me say this: if we signed a center back in two weeks from now, two weeks from now, if we signed a center back, that center back is probably going to get six full weeks of preseason. I'm just not that worried. Hey, that shit, that's the good shit. I am just not that worried. This is January the 27th. I am just not that worried. Uh, when is the season going to start? I don't know. Nobody knows. It's, it's Nisa. Nobody knows. Uh, we, have an, we have an idea. It's probably the end of March, early April, somewhere in there, depending on Open Cup and, and, and the league schedule. Uh, probably very, very similar to last year. But we don't know. But it's probably going to be that. We have months to get to that point. I'm just not that worried. We're early in the process. Um, has center back been hard to fill? Yes. Okay. Usually there's a position group that's hard to fill. Uh, it's apparently center back for us. Uh, I would imagine it's because we're in part being a little bit more strict in terms of what we're looking for in terms of center backs to play the way Rod wants to play, probably to be a little bit more defensive, to be a little bit more athletic, all of these things together. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, I think signing Colin gives you give you some cover there for sure. Um, and I think he gives you some options, and I think he gives you time. Yeah, I agree. And I just am not worried. What happens against Atlanta is going to be something we laugh about in probably 24 hours. Like, cool. It's a, it, Atlanta, The Atlanta game is, is a... We are right at 24 hours from kickoff. We're actually eight minutes in, so if the starters are still playing, we're probably <laughs> crying slash laughing right now. Yeah, I agree. The Atlanta game is going to be fun. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a big crowd. Like, it, it, It's two clubs that, that are in, in vastly different spheres. Spheres? Uh, vastly different spheres. You're, you're, that's, it's a word. You got it. And, uh, But have like this, this shared connection, this shared history, and that's really cool. Uh, if we go out and lose 5-0, I just don't care. It doesn't matter. It, it does not. It, well, what matters is whenever the first game, regular season game actually is, whenever the Open Cup game actually is, that's when it gets real, and that's when we need to be ready. Um, and look, 
the result the result against Atlanta be damned. Yeah, yeah. And and you're making the <clears throat> damn it. You're making the really positive case here, which is nice. Um it's but, unusual. Don't yeah. get used to it. Uh the the one thing that I, I remain nervous about, and you're right, this is a really long preseason, those are all good things. I've in fact made a similar Sickness point. Sickness has this. changed me. It has. And and I've made the point on this podcast that I think that the super long preseason is really good for us, especially for Rod and a system based thing. But I just I wanted I wanted more players back on a for continuity scale and I'm still nervous about that. That doesn't mean we're going to have a bad season because of that, but I am, I am still nervous because I, I believe that just similar to a Pep Guardiola or whoever that is a systems coach, the first year is really hard to, it's not just like Carl Ancelotti who just throws his players out in the best positions for them. Like Rod has a predefined system. Hot take. We're going to return more players uh, than anyone else in the league in the starting lineup. Hot take. That is a very hot take. Um, we're returning less players than I thought we would. And I what I want to do is I want us to build upon not just talent, but I want us to also build upon system because I think system was one of the things that made us strong last year. Not the only thing, but I just wanted to build upon that. I think we will in some ways because I think we'll have more players back than previously. But yeah, that's just that's why I mentioned that nervous piece there. But now that I've done my soccer therapy on, uh, on, on a public podcast, uh, we're there. All right. So what else do we want to talk about with Atlanta United? It's happening. It'll be pretty fun. Prediction for how many people are there? Uh, I just saw a screenshot of the available tickets with 24 hours to go. And folks, uh, if you're listening to this and you have not gotten a ticket yet, I'd grab it because you're looking at 101, 102, 202, 110, 111, 210, 209. You can get a couple in the upper deck in like 204 to, to 208, but not a ton. I've seen billboards all over town, um, which is... If, if there's a big if there's a big walk-up crowd, you better be prepared to like... Stand on the hill or sit on the hill. Or like just meet some new people. Like for real. Uh, it could be a big one. Weather's good. Weather's supposed to be good. Like it could be... It could be interesting. I'm not making... I'm not making numbers predictions, but uh, if we get a good walk-up crowd... You look the only the only the home side is the only stand that's going to be open for this game. So you're being you're so, being there, a, so there's not going to be more than ten thousand people there. You're being a weenie here, but I'm we're gonna say, we're, we're gonna we're gonna call it fifteen thousand. <laughs> I mean, like the unofficial numbers that we would use in, in the old days, we would call it fifteen thousand people in, the, in that in that ten thousand person stand for sure. That, that's, like that's that's what we're approaching. That's I'm just not going to argue with you. That's really dumb. Um, we're gonna be at well, I think we're gonna get eight thousand. Here's yeah. wh- here's why I think we're gonna get actually at eight thousand. I think yeah we'll we'll have roughly ten thousand tickets to be able to sell, um, because the the for those who don't know the the this is the north side is that what it's called anyway the the far side of the stands that are almost never open for us um, are closed and they are closed because the stadium is winterized yeah so they they cannot open it up um, because like they have all the water shut off over there and whatever goes along with the winterizing of a stadium so you have only the the stand that we're normally in and then you have all the whatever standing room can be above each goal, but whether that's the hill or the thing. So um, realistically, you could have 12,000 people in there if we're being like, I don't know what the, what they would allow, but you would think about like roughly 1,000 people in the in the pavilion slide and 1,000 people on the hill, maybe. But I don't think they're going to maybe sell that many. Um, but yeah, you're looking at like 12,000 max. I think there will be 8,000. That's, that's, my, that's my prediction. That'd be awesome. Because I think people are going to it's going to be a night now the weather's shaping up nice. I, I think a lot like, of the walk-up crowd is, is already bought their tickets me too we usually scare them into buying tickets so 
I, I think we won't get a, as big of a walk-up crowd. So, but I, I think the number's going to be big. I think it's going to be an awesome time. But I just think looking at those those screenshots, like I think people are getting... We, we used to have this run back on playoff time back in the day. Not, they weren't assigned seats, but like people got excited, people whatever. You, like I just think people are... This is an MLS team that people are like, oh shit. And I've been telling people like, you, it's Atlanta United. Like this is, if you're going to come to one game this year, even though it's a preseason game, it's by far, far and away, not the most important game of the season. But for a lot of people, it's going to be their first chance to go this season. So if they come to this game, they may come to later. So yeah, and I'm 8K. Uh, it's the first time for, for Atlanta United fans and probably the only time, uh, I think maybe there's a preseason game against a Mexican team in, in Mercedes Benz. But other than maybe these two chances, it's the only time they're going to be able to see their team until, you know, the end of February, and like obviously they have a huge huge fan base in in the Atlanta area and all of Georgia, and we're gonna get a, a, a big crowd of that. We know they're Atlanta United fans in in the Southeast Tennessee. Oh yeah, there's 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 plenty of Atlanta like, there's plenty of Atlanta United fans so, in Chattanooga. This is that's the closest MLS market. It was before it was before Nashville. Yeah, fuck Nashville. So like I get it. Like fuck, fuck them both to be yeah, clear. Yeah 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 <laughs> definitely definitely. Um, all right, before we before we wrap this up, do you have a score line that would make you happy? And this is like without any context, just a score line that make you happy. I literally could not care in the slightest about the score. If if you told me, if you told me here is the trade, we could tie or beat Atlanta. Um but the trade-off is we don't sign two center backs in the next two weeks, like high level starting center backs in the next two weeks. Why would that be the trade-off? I I'm just telling you this is this is my trade-off that I'm giving you in my head. If you tell me like like that that's the trade we tie or beat but we don't sign these two guys, or we get crushed but we sign two high level center backs, I'm taking the center backs every time. Well, yeah, because you're not an idiot, but that's not the trade here. Um, so <laughs> I like how you're not playing on with any of my games, not making any predictions. You're just you're just ornery today. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I would like I would consider four one a big success. Um, us scoring would be the first piece. If we could score, that'd be great. Um, I think we have a better chance to score in this game, even though we don't have our full lineup, uh, simply because I think Atlanta, because their first preseason game, will be playing less of their starters for less time. Yeah, I would imagine right around 45 minutes for their starters. Um, I I would be shocked if it was even 45 minutes, to be honest. Even better, but so I, a, a lot of times, a lot of times teams will play like essentially 3:30s. Uh, I would I would expect 3:30s from Atlanta. Um, I would, I, I'll, I'll be curious what we do with our minutes. We've been in for two weeks now, so maybe 45 for our starters, maybe a little bit more. We'll just, we'll look, just have to see. If it's straight 45s, right? If they go 45 and we go 45, whatever. But I wouldn't, we'll see what happens. But I, especially if you get Marcus or, or some of our other starters, Alice McGrath against a team or Mumu in this case, cause I love his highlights. Can't wait to see him. Um, if we get those players against some of their backups, some like of their some Atlanta two or, or some, some Atlanta, Atlanta players, and look, Atlanta two is pretty trash. Now they may come out and play their starters for sixty minutes because they want to get game time in their legs, right? Yeah, that, that's on the table, but uh, it just depends. But I think that those that should play into our our favor. So I want us to score, and I'd like us to. We've lost four nothing and six nothing to them. I almost said seven, uh, six nothing. I wouldn't be shocked if this game and, finished worse. And three one at the beginning of twenty twenty one. That's true. Three one uh, in a closed door friendly. So. Um, if I would consider four one an excellent result, uh, I would consider four nothing an acceptable result. Uh, and look, it's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things. But like, that's what's fun about predictions, Matthew. Uh, I want to get out. I want to get out of the game with no injuries, uh, and I'd like that's... to. Get, I'd like to see some guys play. But this is our first chance for our guys to get some minutes and to get like some minutes in their legs competitively. And yeah, it's exciting. Also, there's some trialists in this game that I want. Like I mentioned, Ethan Corn, who's not a trialist, but there's some guys I want to see against this competition. And I'm sure the coaching staff. 
is going to be looking at some of those center backs. It's going to be looking at some of those positions where we don't have a start. I mean, we have an open center back starting spot uh, almost certainly because we've only got one center back signed and maybe two. So that's a key position. But also we need to see, like, what about backup right back and left back, which we have not uh, signed? What about backup midfield spots? What about we have a couple winger winger or backup striker? Like there's yeah. some there's some spots out there up for grabs. So I, I can't wait to see some guys in a much bigger test. And this is going to be our guys' Super Bowl in a lot of ways. Not like our players who have been here before because I think that they will be focused on the Nisa season. But guys who are on trial playing against Atlanta United that have never played against Atlanta United before, going to be a pretty big day for them. And we should see the best of them, hopefully. One of the things I'm most looking forward to as we wrap this up is uh this is a, a this is going to be a loud environment. It's going to be a, a big crowd, we think, and it's at home. And for the guys that have never played for CFC before, it is the perfect game to get that environment out of the way. Mm. Uh, we had a big crowd for the from the home opener last year against Maryland Bobcats, and yes, kind of a lot of new players, new system, but it was very very tentative, and. Uh, and al- almost like you know, it's actually easier to play as, as a as a um, as a member of the away team because you're up for it because like you're fighting the crowd, you're fighting the team, you're fighting everything. Mm. It means something to play for Chattanooga Football Club, and when you've never really had that experience before, it is sometimes you don't realize what you're getting yourself into until you step on the field that day. And, and a lot of these guys have never hadn't ever played for, for the trialists for the new, new guys, players. Whatever. It's just going to be and for the trialists. It's just going to be a different feeling and getting that out of the way. It gets Lenny United against a massive crowd uh, that we are probably not likely to see unless it's a playoff run uh, at the end of the season. Again, this season, it's a really good opportunity for, for players to get some of those nerves out of the way Yep. so that on the home opener. We are ready to go. I agree. That's a very, very, very good point. Well, Matthew, thank you for joining me today. Thank. I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you're out of uh, sickness. Listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope to be back here podcasting a little more regularly now that uh, I have moved. Matthew is not sick, and we have some more news to go through. Yeah. And we'll catch you guys soon.